Hello, and welcome back to the Urology Care Podcast, the official podcast of the Urology Care Foundation. This podcast is part of the Bladder Cancer Caregivers Podcast Series, a series to help provide more understanding and guidance for people impacted by bladder cancer, to include friends, family, and caregivers. Our guest today is Dr. Daniela Whitman, an associate professor in the Department of Urology at the University of Michigan and a certified sex therapist and sex therapy supervisor. The goal of this podcast is to provide perspective for patients and caregivers on sexual recovery after cancer treatment. Dr. Whitman, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Urology Care Podcast. You're welcome. I'm so happy that you invited me. Thank you. Can you please start by introducing yourself to our listeners? I am an associate professor in the Department of Urology at the University of Michigan. And my interests, both clinical and research ones, are in sexual health, in urologic cancers. And I'm also a certified sex therapist and sex therapy supervisor. Wonderful. We're excited to have you speak with us today. As someone who works as a social worker, who is a sexual health expert as well, can you tell us about how you may also work with caregivers such as partners or spouses? Most urologic cancers have sexual side effects. The treatments do. And uh, when somebody has bladder cancer and they have surgery, or even if they just have medication installation in the bladder, they experience side effects that affect their sexual functioning. When one person has sexual problems as a result of their cancer treatment, uh, it affects them on an emotional level as well, of course, because people start getting worried, anxious, uncertain about whether they're going to experience pleasure, whether they're going to be good partners for their spouse or partner, and all of that affects the partner. So the partner is a kind of a, in a sense, innocent participant in the challenges of the sexual problems that the patient has as a result of uh, uh, the cancer treatment. So working with the partners is really important because their sex lives are altered by what's happening to their patient partner. Can you get a little bit more specific about how does getting diagnosed with cancer and going through the cancer treatment and recovery, how that affects overall sexual health and intimacy for both partners? So when a patient gets diagnosed with uh, bladder cancer, if it's non-invasive bladder cancer and they have periodic cystoscopies, so just check on things, they might have surgery, they might have medication installation, all of those procedures are very upsetting or at least somewhat upsetting and they can be physically uncomfortable. So for a period of time, that person is not really that interested in sexual activity. In the case of some medication installations, they advise not to be sexually active until that medication is more out of their system. And so that means that the partner has to basically wait, emotionally support, and be prepared to resume when the patient is ready. You know, it obviously puts a kink into the familiar sexual interactions. It certainly takes away some spontaneity. And because the person's diagnosed with cancer to begin with, 
this may make them feel anxious or sad or even depressed. And that mood is going to affect the interest in sex. So all of these things affect the sexual relationship. Of course, the partner may also be affected by all of this, right? They worry about their cancer uh, affected partner. They worry about survival. They worry about what's going to happen with the treatment. So they will have their own emotional reaction to the situation. And that may affect their interest in sex. And it may even affect their comfort because there are times when the partners worry that they're going to in some ways hurt the patient if they have sexual activity. So all of these things are important. Now, when it comes to muscle invasive bladder cancer, then uh, it, it's a bigger deal. If a person has a cystectomy, for men, that means that they will also often have their prostate removed. And with their prostate removal, the, re the nerves that are responsible for erectile function are damaged. That damage means that the man will have erectile dysfunction, maybe for a period of time, maybe permanently. That, of course, affects the sexual relationship. For women, it can be even more invasive. Women may, depending on their oncological situation, have their uterus removed, part of their vagina, their urethra, and so on. So they may not be able to participate, for example, in penetrative activity because they no longer have a vagina. And if they have one reconstructed, that vagina doesn't have the same sensation. So there are all these physical effects that can happen with muscle invasive, bladder cancer, and surgical treatment that affect both the patient and the partner. Okay, thank you. That was a, a great overview of that information. I think that you kind of touched a little bit um, on your previous explanation, but can you share some of the common themes or concerns that people living with bladder cancer have on their mind during this journey? So first of all, you know, especially if people undergo surgery, this may not be top of mind, but eventually once they start feeling better and recovering, they wonder whether they're going to be able to continue to have a sex life at all, how they're going to function, are they going to be able to please their partner, and that goes both ways, and provide them with pleasure. Is there going to be any spontaneity ever? And what are the kinds of methodologies they're going to have to use to be able to stay sexually active? Many times people don't get really any information about any of this. And so they are working it out in the dark. They really don't know. And sometimes when people don't know, they don't do anything about it. So they don't ask the questions and they don't get the help. So it's very important to have those conversations so that patients don't struggle on their own. How do you feel people from different backgrounds or generations approach sexual health? This is a really great question because we do have completely diverse patients. From the point of view of generations, I have learned that it's not really a generational thing necessarily. We would think that the older generation would be more uncomfortable, et cetera. It's not always true. Many times it's just dependent on the person, how comfortable they are with themselves and with their body and with their partner. I would say, you know, I more work with men than I do with women. And men are, for the most part, almost always interested in getting help and discussing their issues. Women can be as well if they are encouraged. A lot depends on whether they are approached in such a way that you normalize the concern. So if they feel the concern, they're more likely to talk about it. And so in terms of cultures, 
some of it depends on whether, um, like I'm a woman, so whether a man would want to talk to a woman based on their cultural background, whether that is something that's sort of permissible, or whether there are topics that they wouldn't want to talk about, such as masturbation for Catholics and for some Muslims can be a taboo subject in terms of doing it, but oftentimes people will talk about it. And then once they understand that what you're recommending and discussing is in a medical context, they may overcome that concern that comes from their background. But, you know, there are people who will be uncomfortable because this is not something that they expect to talk about in a medical environment. And because this is something that is considered to be extremely private. So it can be a difficult conversation or lack of conversation. But honestly, throughout my many years of doing this work, I've rarely encountered it. Again, if you're very matter of fact, if you say it's a part of your cancer experience and we want to help you, mostly people will talk regardless of their background. That's really interesting. Thank you. I wouldn't have thought of it that way. And, you know, I think a lot of people can probably relate to those different perspectives. So thank you for sharing that. So how can either a social worker, a sexual health expert, someone like yourself help people living with bladder cancer feel empowered to seek help on their journey? I would say that it has to be the whole team that prepares a patient for this side effect for the sexual side effect so it really starts with the surgeon or it starts with a urologist or oncologist it's very important to educate the patient at the beginning that there are sexual side effects of the treatment patients may not be that interested in going any further into it at the beginning but if you tell them something they will remember it later and it will feel more comfortable for them to ask for help so they should be educated in the beginning. And if there is a social worker, sexual health expert, a nurse, or if there's only the urologist, somebody should inform them at the beginning and give them information. And then afterwards, it should be a part of routine, normal care that people are asked about having sexual concerns. And if they have sexual concerns, either for themselves or for their relationship, it's not necessarily for the urologist to help. But if they have uh, a sexual health expert, or if they have a sexual health expert in their community, it's really good to refer and to say, you know, I have a colleague who's an expert on this. This is a normal part of care after bladder cancer or uh, after any kind of pelvic cancer. And we, you know, I want you to have as much of a quality of life as possible. Then the person's more likely to get the help. So normalizing it and making it a part of usual care. What are some thoughts that you have around sexual health and bladder cancer treatment? Again, I know you've kind of talked about how a lot of treatments do have sexual health side effects and and whatnot, but can you share a little bit more based on your experience about what people with bladder cancer should know about that? First of all, they should know that there are probably usually sexual side effects with any kind of bladder cancer treatment. I think what's really important for people who have a cystectomy for men, it's important to know that they are likely to have erectile problems and that there is help, that there's rehabilitation and that there are medications and devices that can help them ever have erections and enable them to have penetrative sex after bladder cancer treatment. For women, they should know that if the uterus and particularly if the ovaries are removed, 
if they've not gone through menopause already, they will go through menopause because of that surgery or removal of the ovaries. You know, I had the experience of seeing a woman who was 50 who had a neobladder built and was thrilled with the result of the surgery for bladder cancer in terms of her urinary function. But nobody ever told her she was going to lose her ovaries and she just got thrown into menopause. We call it surgical menopause. It just devastated her because she was always very shy and timid about sex anyway. And this made it much worse. And she really needed a lot of support, education and encouragement to understand her own body now and to be able to work it out with her husband, who, by the way, was perfectly supportive and kind. But she was just devastated by the fact that she didn't know that this was going to happen to her. So that is a very significant sexual side effect for women who have a cystectomy and whose ovaries are removed. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely can imagine going through bladder cancer and, and the treatments and everything already feels overwhelming. So I think it's really great to share this information to educate patients and caregivers so that they can help you know, ask the right questions with their doctors and kind of be more aware um, so that they don't feel even more overwhelmed, like the the one woman you mentioned and finding out after the fact. So thank you for that information. So for those living with bladder cancer who are seeking treatment, what are some good next steps for both them and their partner? So the first thing is to acknowledge that change has happened and then to you know, if possible, have a conversation about whether this is a part of their life that they want to get back. And then talk to their healthcare providers, whoever they feel most comfortable with, to find them the resources. You know, it doesn't have to be the urologist. It doesn't have to be the primary care physician. It can be a sexual health expert or mental health expert who can be kind of the first step in having the conversation to really identify what this patient and what this couple needs and you know one of the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go through the grief process because they've lost function and they've lost familiar interactions and somebody has to support them through it so that they can kind of emerge on this other side and then determine what kind of help would be useful for them do you have any other final thoughts that you would like to share about sexual health as it relates to those living with bladder cancer and their partners I think the main thing is for patients to recognize that sexual health is a part of their overall health and that they are entitled to have help to recover sexual intimacy after bladder cancer treatment. For the providers, uh, that it's so important to educate patients about the sexual side effects of bladder cancer treatment and to help them get the resources and the experts that can help them recover that part of their quality of life. Great. That's wonderful advice. Well, Dr. Whitman, thank you again so much for this incredible conversation and for joining us on today's episode of the Urology Care Podcast. It's my great pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is provided through the generous support of Sejin and Estellis. This podcast has been brought to you by the Urology Care Foundation, powered by trusted experts of the American Urological Association. For more information on today's topic, and for all things urology health, visit urologyhealth.org. That's urologyhealth.org.